You're listening to the Deeper Christian Bible Study Series in the book of Ephesians. Thank you for joining me, Nathan Johnson, on an in-depth, verse-by-verse study of this incredible book by Paul. Now, let's dive into the lesson for today. Well, good morning. If you have your Bibles, Ephesians chapter 3. Again, we've been walking through this mini-series looking at uh, just the eternal purpose, plan, and mystery of God. And it's just an incredible passage. And what I'd like to do uh, just to get us started this morning is read uh, Ephesians chapter 3. And I want to read verse 8 down through verse 13, uh, which is what we've been specifically looking at uh, this week. Uh, this is what Paul says in Ephesians 3 8. He says, To me, the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unfathomable riches of Christ and to bring to light what is the administration of the mystery, which for ages has been hidden in God who created all things, so that the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known through the church to the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly places. This was in accordance with the eternal purpose which he carried out in Christ Jesus our Lord in whom we have boldness and confident access through faith in him. Therefore, I ask you not to lose heart at my tribulations on your behalf, for they are your glory. Wow, what an incredible passage. It's interesting, as as I continually walk through uh, this particular section, uh, I I am dumbfounded by the reality of how deep the well of this passage goes. Uh, In fact, we're looking very specifically at verse 11 uh, this morning, this idea of the eternal purpose of God. And it's interesting, (laughs) if I could just, I guess, be truthful in this. Uh, This is so overwhelming to me. Uh, In fact, I feel like all I've done is uh, dip my toe into the ocean of this idea of the eternal purpose of God, and it it is breathtaking. And uh, so this morning, we're just going to give a very surface, a very uh, kind of a 40,000 foot view, if you will, of this idea of God's purpose. Uh, I I was recently talking to Sandy uh, McConaughey, and she has been studying this idea of God's eternal purpose now probably close to a decade. And we, uh, in in our, one of our longer programs, we, we walk through a whole class on God's eternal purpose. But it's interesting, as I've been just wrestling through this, and as I was talking to Sandy, I'm just like, Sandy, isn't it just incredible, the depth of this idea? And of course, she's been living in this for a lot longer. And I I said, just even after my own study and and knowing what you've talked about in the past, I said, I actually feel what I want to do is I just want to take like the next year and just walk through all of Scripture afresh and just view it through the lens of God's eternal purpose. And I was thinking, man, wouldn't it be phenomenal to either have a side study or an online course or something that just walks through this idea of what is God's eternal purpose all throughout the scriptures? Because you see, God has one agenda. He has one purpose and he's doing one thing. In fact, you can even see that uh, in our passage where he's talking about the unfathomable riches of Christ, that there's this mystery which has been hidden in God from ages past. That there's this eternal reality of God's purpose and his plan, and he is bringing it about and working it out in, in, in the world today, in this time frame. That there is this plan, and because he has promised, and because this is his plan, and because he doesn't change, you realize that there is no plan B. 
There is one purpose and there is one plan and there is one mystery. And as we've been walking through this passage, it should not surprise you to realize that the riches in verse 8, the mystery of verse 9, this declaration, this manifold wisdom idea that we get to declare as the body of Christ in verse 10, and all of this being in accordance with the eternal purpose, which was carried out in Christ Jesus our Lord, it should not surprise you then that all of this is focused on one single thing, or rather it's one single person whose name is Jesus. Do you realize that Jesus is the richness? He is the riches. Uh, that he is this mystery hidden from ages and generations. That, that Jesus and his life and, and all of his redemptive plan that he desires to do in your life and in this world, that is, hey, that has been God's purpose and plan from the beginning of time. That all of this focuses and centers on the reality of the person of Jesus. Oh, isn't that awesome? Oh, it's so good. Uh, as we come in, into verse 11, again, and we're, we've been talking about the riches in verse 8. We've been talking about the mystery in verse 9. We've been talking about the manifold wisdom in verse 10. And again, in verse 11, he says all of this, just this whole thing is in accordance with the eternal purpose which God carried out in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Uh, it's interesting, you go back to Genesis chapter 3, and, and what you see is this whole fall of humanity scene. So Adam and Eve take the fruit, and they, they eat of it, and of course, they're choosing independence. And they're basically saying, God, hey, we can handle this. We want to make our own choices. Hey, we want to decide what is right and what is wrong. We want to determine between good and evil. And so they, they partake of the fruit, and we, we know that because of this, spiritual death ensued. And it, what's interesting is you go very back to the very beginning of this in, in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. Uh, listen to what God says to the serpent, the deceiver. God says, I will put enmity between you and the woman and your seed and her seed. He will bruise your head and you shall bruise him on the hill. And of course, it's a messianic prophecy referring to Jesus and the cross. He says, do you realize that, hey, what you have started, there is going to be war and a battle between you and what I'm going to be doing. And hey, you think you're going to, be, you're going to bite his heel, speaking of the cross, but in so doing, we are going to stomp on your head, <laughs> which is just awesome. And what you begin to see as the outflow of all this is that God is, is going out of his way in his divine purpose and plan to choose a people. And what you have in Genesis chapter 12 is what, what many scholars would even say is the very beginning of the whole gospel story. That what you have in Genesis 1 through 11 is kind of the introduction, is kind of the prelude, if you will, kind of giving you the backstory, bringing you up to the reality of what God has been doing in human history, which really begins in chapter 12. And what you see in chapter 12 is that God comes to this man by the name of Abram, and he says, Abram, I, I am choosing you, and I want you to go to a place that I'm going to lead you. And, and listen to the promise that God makes Abram. And this, this promise, think about this. This promise weaves itself through the entirety of this book. In fact, as you follow this theme or this language through, you see it in nearly every book of the Bible. You see this as one of the major themes 
through the entirety of Scripture. Listen to this. Genesis 12, 1 through 3. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go forth from your country and from your relatives and from your father's house to the land that I will show you. Get this. And I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you, and will make your name great, and so you shall be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse those who curse you. And in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. In you, Abraham, what I'm going to do in my purpose and my plan through you, all the nations, all the peoples are going to be blessed. Do you realize that is talking about Jesus? And the reality is, hey, Abraham, my purpose and my plan that I'm beginning in you, which I'm going to weave in this redemptive story throughout all of Scripture, is going to come to a climax in the person of Jesus and the cross See, God has made a promise. He has a purpose and a plan. What's the plan? Jesus. There is no plan B. Hey, when you, get into the, when you get into God's eternal purpose, what is God's eternal purpose focused on? Jesus and the life that he has promised. See, you get to be in Jesus. And Jesus, through his spirit, wants to be in you. And the reality of the life of Jesus is God's eternal purpose purpose. Uh, it's interesting as I was, uh, and we're going to get here eventually, <laughs> in a, probably a while, but uh, in Ephesians chapter 5, it's talking about that relationship of the husbands and the wives. And uh, when I was originally coming through that section, uh, it was interesting. I was, I was really dumbfounded because Paul says, hey, this is a great mystery. I mean, I know I'm talking husbands and wives stuff, but I'm not talking about husbands and wives. I'm actually talking about Christ and the church. And this is a great mystery, says Paul. And I said, well, isn't that, isn't that interesting? And as, as I said, okay, well, it goes back into this idea of that mystery idea. It goes back into this idea of the eternal purpose. And so I went back and I started tracing out this idea of the marriage or the bride language all throughout Scripture. And it was, it was so overwhelmingly beautiful. It was one of, the, one of the most incredible studies that I've done to begin to realize that God has a purpose and a plan. And what is his purpose and a plan focused on? Jesus. But it's Jesus in relationship to his people. And uh, I, I really like the language, if you want to use the B language, that God is going after a bride, he is going after a body, and he is establishing a building. In fact, you see that in Ephesians chapter 2, which we've walked through already, uh, that, that we are, at the end of chapter 1, we are the body of Christ. In chapter 2, uh, you, you, you have this idea that he is establishing, he's building this building. It's called a temple. And that you as, as a believer get to be a rock or you get to be a brick in the building of the Lord, the dwelling place of our God. And so it's using different terminology, but it's that same language that we are the bride of Christ. Not, not you individually, but we're talking corporately. The church, the ecclesia is the bride of Christ. And so here is Jesus who is the plan. But God's eternal purpose is that Jesus, oh, God himself, would have relationship and intimacy with his people. And that we would get wrapped up in, in the oneness and the wonder of Jesus Christ. And God is taking us, the body of Christ, the believers, and he is inhabiting us as his body. He is the head, we are the body that he's grown us up into this building to be a dwelling place 
for God, that we are, we are the temple of the Holy Spirit, that we get to house the very presence of our God. And he's going after a bride. Why? Because this is all about relationship and intimacy and, and oneness. Isn't that phenomenal? Oh, it's so good. Oh, it's so good. Uh, as you come into Hebrews chapter 6, uh, God has given a promise. And I, I love Hebrews chapter 6 because he, Hebrews chapter 6 talks about the anchor to our soul. That we as believers have an anchor in our soul. Well, what is that anchor? Listen to this. Hebrews chapter 6, verses 13 through 20. For when God made the promise to Abraham, since he could not swear by no one greater, he swore by himself, saying, I will surely bless you and I will surely multiply you. Again, that goes back to that Genesis 12 promise. And so the writer of Hebrews says, well, hey, here is God. He makes a promise to Abraham that in you, I'm going to bless the entirety of the world. Obviously speaking of Jesus. But listen to this. Because God, there's no one greater that God could use to swear upon. He goes, he literally swore upon his own character. He says, I promise you based on my own nature. I just promise you this will come to pass. And so, having patiently waited, Abraham obtained the promise. For, for men swear by one greater than themselves, and with them an oath given as confirmation is an end of every dispute. In the same way, God, desiring even more to show to the heirs of the promise the unchangeableness of his purpose, he interposed it with an oath so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have taken refuge would have strong encouragement to take, hope of the, to take hold of the hope set before us. This hope we have as an anchor of the soul, a hope both sure and steadfast, and one which enters within the veil where Jesus has entered as a forerunner for us, having become a high priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. Isn't that good? So you have this idea that we as believers have an overwhelming hope. We have an anchor to our soul. What is it? It's the fact that God has promised and he cannot lie. That God's very nature is sure and unchanging. And so when God makes a promise, it is guaranteed. It is absolute. It is, it is, it is just... Now think about this. God has an eternal purpose, an eternal plan, and he's given a promise to Abraham. What's, what's the promise to Abraham? Abraham, I'm choosing you out of all the peoples of this world. I'm going to do something incredible in and through your life so that when the world around you sees what me, God, is doing in your life, they're going to want in on that. And they're going to say, oh, could I have a relationship with that God? Oh, could I have intimacy with that same God that you worship and you realize all this, again, is being fulfilled in the person of Jesus. I love what 2 Peter 3, 9 says. Peter records this. He says, The Lord is not slow regarding his promise, as some count slowness, but he is patient towards you, not wishing any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. So you have this promise that was given to Abraham, and you see this theme being woven through all of scripture and it comes to a climax in the very person of Jesus. So here is Jesus and he looks at his disciples and he says stuff like this in Luke 24, 49. 
Behold, I am sending forth the promise of my Father upon you. But you are to stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. And we know he's talking about the Holy Spirit and the, and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. But isn't it interesting? God has given a promise and he cannot lie. And that promise was first given to Abraham. And hey, there's this flow and there's this thing that is happening all, Hey, from Abraham and onward. And now here is Jesus, the fulfillment of the promise, the fulfillment of the plan itself. And Jesus says, I am going to send you the promise. Hey, as I, hey I'm going to go to the cross. I'm going to die for your sins cleanse you to make an avenue so that I can send my spirit upon you and have the totality, the fulfillment of the very promise that God has spoken to Abraham. And then again, you see this again in Acts chapter 1, verse 4 and 5, where it says, gathering them together, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for what the Father has promised, which he said, you've heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So as you get into the very heart of this thing, you, you, just, you start hearing the tone. And again, there are so many layers and there's so much depth. And we could just read the entirety of, of the Bible and we'd just say, amen. That is God's eternal purpose. That it is this redemptive, overwhelming pursuit of, of his people that he would gather them back together and have them come in intimacy and oneness with the living God so that we can experience and demonstrate the life of Jesus. That we aren't merely just to esteem the life of Jesus. We are to experience and then demonstrate that life. Uh, you hear that echoed in Paul's language. For example, uh, Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. Uh, in terms of this idea of the eternal purpose thing, uh, if you go back a page to Ephesians chapter 1, uh, and I know this is going to take a little bit of time, but I really want you just to hear the, the big overview of this idea. Uh, one of the things I love about the book of Ephesians, and I've mentioned this before, but one of the things I love about Ephesians is the fact that Ephesians was not a correction letter. Uh, we have a lot of correction letters. For example, uh, Corinthians. <laughs> Paul, Paul is dealing with some severe issues in the Corinthian church. And so he writes his letter to bring correction. That's not so with Ephesians. See, the book of Ephesians is just, it's like Paul looking at the reality and the richness of the life of Jesus. And he just says, oh, I'm going to, I'm just going to talk about the wonders of Jesus. All in connection with this idea of the body of Christ. And as you walk through chapter one and chapter three, very specifically, you start to hear this language of the purpose, the plan, the mystery, the God's desire, his, his redemptive work. And you, you just start to hear this language and I want you just to, I want you to hear all of this afresh in light of God's eternal purpose and plan that is centered on the person of Jesus. So I just want to read Ephesians chapter one and chapter the first, uh, and chapter three, I guess, the whole thing. And again, I know it's a lot of scripture, but I want you just to hear the thunderous tone of God's word and Paul's declaration as it comes to this idea of his purpose, God's purpose, eternal purpose in plain. So Ephesians chapter 1, Paul says this, uh, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to the saints who are at Ephesus and who are faithful 
in Christ Jesus. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And then he comes into the blessing section. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself, according to the kind intention of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, which he freely bestowed on us in the beloved. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished on us in all wisdom and insight. He has made known to us the mystery of his will according to his kind intention which he purposed in him with a view to an administration suitable to the fullness of the times that is the summing up of all things in Christ, things in heaven and things on earth. In him also we have obtained an inheritance having been predestined according to his purpose who works all things after the counsel of his will to the end that we who were the first to hope in Christ would be to the praise of his glory. In him, you also, after listening to this message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit, a promise, who is given as a pledge or a guarantee of our inheritance with a view to the redemption of God's own possession to the praise of his glory. For this reason, I too, having heard of the faith, in the Lord Jesus, which exists among you, and your love for all the saints, do not cease giving thanks for you while making mention of you in my prayers. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you would know what is the hope of his calling, what is the riches, the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the surpassing greatness of of his power toward us who believe. These are in accordance with the working of the strength of his might, which he brought about in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his own right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in that which is to come. And he put all things in subjection under his feet and gave him head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him, who fills all in all. Look at Ephesians chapter 3. For this reason I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles, if indeed you've heard of the stewardship of God's grace, which was given to me for you, that by revelation there was made known to me the mystery, as I wrote before in brief. By referring to this, when you read, you can understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which in other generations was not made known to the sons of men, as it has now been, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets in the Spirit. To be specific, that the Gentiles are to be fellow heirs and fellow members of the body and fellow partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel of which I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given to me according to the working of his power. To me, the very least of all the saints, this grace was given, to preach to the Gentiles the unfathomable riches of Christ and to bring to light what is the administration of the mystery, which for ages has been hidden in God who created 
all things. So that the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known through the church to the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly places. This was in accordance with the eternal purpose which he carried out in Christ Jesus our Lord. In whom we have boldness and confident access through faith in him. Therefore I ask you not to lose heart of my tribulations on your behalf. For they are your glory. For this reason I bow my knees before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in the inner man, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, and that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth, the length, the height, the depth, and to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled up to all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we could ask or think, according to the power that works within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. Isn't that awesome? Oh, that's so good. Hey, as you, as you walk through those passages, aren't you just overwhelmed by the reality that all of this focuses on Jesus? See, all of this is being climaxed or summarized in Jesus. See, he is the pinnacle of all these things. See, he is the focus. He is the purpose and the plan. Hey, he is the great mystery hidden for ages and generations. Or as Colossians 1 would say, hey, this mystery is Christ in you, the hope of glory. That I get to be in him, he gets to be in me. And God's eternal purpose and plan from the very beginning is that we would be image bearers of the living God and that we would not only experience God, but we would demonstrate the life of God to our world. That is the reality. That has been God's purpose. That has been God's plan from ages past and it will be for ages future. That in the ages of eternity, do you realize that you still get to experience the life of Jesus and you still get to demonstrate the life of Jesus to the universe? See, this has never changed. This has always been the purpose and plan. That when God created man and woman, Hey, he made us in his image. We are not the image. We are the holders of that image. We are the vessels that contain the image. We are the image bearers that are to reflect the nature of God to our world. We are merely the moon that reflects the sunlight back to earth. That's, who, that's what you are. You are an image bearer. And God has an eternal purpose and a plan, and it all focuses and centers upon Jesus Christ. That is so good. Now, I wish we had time and we just walk through all the scripture and look at the layers. And again, the, the more I've just been studying this out, the more overwhelmed I have become, the more rich this has be, been in my personal life. And I, I, I would encourage you, do a study on the promise. Do a study on the mystery. Do a study on God's purpose and plan and promises found uh, in Genesis chapter 12 to Abraham. And as you start to walk through all the scripture, you just see this thing. God is going after a bride, a body, and a building. That he's wanting to grow us up into something. He wants relationship and intimacy with us. And maybe someday in the future we'll just do an entire study just on that topic. 
But knowing that God's eternal purpose is all focuses on Jesus, and it's all about this idea of intimacy and relationship, to experience and to demonstrate the very life of God to your world. Let me give you three ideas really quick. Three ways for us to live in God's eternal purpose. What does it mean practically for us as believers to live in the middle of God's eternal purpose? So three ideas. Number one, would you make his eternal purpose your own purpose? See, all, all of us are going after so many different things. Most of us are so wrapped up in success or finances or, or whatever it may be. And, and the purpose of my life is, how would you answer that? And could the purpose of your life actually be the same purpose that God has, which is himself? That this is not, I go, I go up to God and say, God, what is your will for my life? Rather, what would happen if I went up to God saying, God, your life is to be my will? And flip it around. See, that my life is to be about your life. That my will is to be about your will, which is all about you. So this is not about, God, what is, what is your will for my life? This is your life is to be the will. And what if you just get all wrapped up in Jesus? And what if you'd surrender afresh to Jesus? And what if you just submit yourself to Jesus and just go crazy with Jesus? And let God's eternal purpose be your purpose for life. Uh, number two, which would go to the very heart of the purpose itself, but would you make Jesus the very center of your life? That he wouldn't just be an add-on, he would be the very essence of your life. That this isn't just, well, I'll life and I'll add a little bit of Jesus in. Yeah, I'll go to church on Sundays and yeah, I'll do these spiritual activities. See, what if the essence of your life was Jesus? What if the centrality of your life was Jesus? What if the direction of your life was pointed toward one thing, Jesus? What if the very heartbeat of your life was Jesus? See, what if the, 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 the one thought that was just constantly running through your mind was just Jesus? What if the drive that woke you up in the morning, what if the purpose of your very being was Jesus. Because that's, that's him. That's the whole purpose. See, I don't think we can overemphasize Jesus enough. In fact, I, I actually think we're not emphasizing him enough. See, he is the purpose. He is the plan. And of course, I keep going through all these, through all these verses, but uh, listen to our verse again, Ephesians 3.11. This was in accordance with the eternal purpose which he carried out in Christ Jesus, our Lord. And what I think is just fascinating about that is the fact that he uses three different words to emphasize Jesus. He could have just said, this was in accordance with the eternal purpose which was carried out in Jesus. But he said, Christ Jesus, our Lord. And he could have used just either any, any one of those three things, and yet he used all three, and it's like he's emphasizing, he's drawing your attention. He's saying, hey, look at the purpose. This is all being fulfilled and carried about and being accomplished in Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. What if that was true about your life? What if your life was a declaration of him? Uh, what if your life really was centered upon him? What if he was the delight of your soul? Colossians 1.18, I, I, love, I love the language of this. Paul says that Jesus is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he 
might be preeminent, which means he'd have the first place. Is Jesus preeminent in your life? Does he have first place in your life? Is he the very center of your life? Is your life being built upon and in and through him? Or as Romans eleven thirty six, 36 says, from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. I mean, is, is, does that describe your life? That, hey, when we get down to the very essence of your life, we just go, wow, this whole thing is being focused on and built upon and, and done through and empowered by Jesus. Or is your life all about you? So would you make God's purpose your purpose? Hey, would you make Jesus the very center of your life? And if you want to live in the very center of eternal purpose, number three, what would happen if you would make use of all of his divine resources that are available to you? We've used the imagery before of like there's this treasure trove. There's this treasury, this massive vault in heaven. And it's like God brings you in and says, hey, have access to it. You, you, can, have, you can have whatever you want because they're all found in Jesus. You, you turn to Galatians chapter 5, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And against such things there is no law. There's no limit. There's no boundaries to these things. Why? Because you have them all in Christ Jesus what have you begun to realize that everything you needed for life and for godliness, as 2 Peter 1.3 says, is found in one place, Jesus. And because they're all found in one single place, you, you don't have to go look. You don't have to go search. You just go after him. But what if you begin to make use of every resource available to you? He has given you his grace. He, he, you can walk in freedom. You can walk in triumph. You, you can, he, can, he wants to change your personality. He wants to change your thought life. He wants to change your, the way you, you, way you talk. He, he wants to change your overwhelming love for the people around you. He just, see, what if you would say, Lord, this is, I can't, but I have it in you. Lord, I don't know how to walk in purity, but I have it in you. Lord, I, I don't know how I'm going to not fear, but I know I have it in you. Lord, Lord I, I, I'm going to trust you that even when things don't make sense, oh, I have it in you. So, Lord, would you do it? Oh, I need you. I need you. I need you. And what if we wouldn't be paupers in the kingdom? What if we would live in the reality and the totality of what God, through Christ Jesus, has made available to us? Oh, I just read the whole list in Ephesians chapter 1. But in Ephesians chapter 1, 3 through 14, there's all the blessings that we have in Jesus. That every single blessing found in the heavenly realms is found in one place, Jesus. And what if you would realize that everything that I need is found in Jesus? That every blessing that God is ever going to give me is found in Jesus? And what if I live in the reality of that? I just said this a second ago, but let me finish the verse. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3 and 4 says, seeing that his divine power has given to us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. For by these he has granted to us his precious and magnificent promises so that by them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust. See, you do not have to live like the world around you. He has given you everything you need and you get to be a partaker of his divine nature. 
What if you live in the reality of that? Uh, in Romans chapter 8, <clears throat> let me just read you a few verses starting in verse 28. Listen to what Paul says about your life in Christ Jesus. He says in Romans 8, 28, We know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined, get this, to be conformed to the image of his Son, so that we would be the firstborn among many brethren. And these whom he predestined, he also called. And these whom he called, he also justified. And these whom he justified, he also glorified. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who is against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him over for us, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? Who will bring a charge against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. Who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is he who died. Yes, rather, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who also intercedes for us. Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword? Just as it is written, for your sake we are being put to death all day long. We were considered as sheep to be slaughtered. But in all these things, we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. That in him you are more than a conqueror. In him nothing can separate you from the love of God. In him, what if you would live in the resources and the life that he has made available? See, what if, to, if we're going to live according to the eternal purpose, what if we made that purpose our purpose? See, what if we make Jesus the very center of our life? What if we would realize that everything needed for life and godliness is available to you in Christ Jesus? What is God's purpose? Jesus. That somehow you would get to experience and then demonstrate the life of Jesus to your world. I love what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4, 7. He says, but we have this treasure in earthen vessels so that the surpassing greatness of the power will be of God and not from ourselves. That you are this jar of clay. You are this earthen vessel. The idea is actually a cracked pot. You are this jar of clay that has this crack in it. But there's this treasure contained on the inside. What is it? It's the life and the glory of God. And in the very Spirit of God who lives inside of you, this vessel of clay, do you realize that if, if, if we are weak, which we are, hey, if there's a crack in you, do you realize that the benefit of that is that the glory, the life is going to ooze out of you and that his strength is going to be seen, that his life is going to be demonstrated to the world around you, that you as the vessel get to experience the life, the richness this mystery of Christ himself and yet that is also to be poured out and demonstrated to the world around us. Uh, in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 14 through 16, Paul uses the language of you are a diffuser 
of the fragrance of God. Uh, years ago, my, my aunt uh, got into the doTERRA thing and, and, and got me some oils and got me a little diffuser. And I, I, love, I love a diffuser because you, just, you, know, you put some water in it, put a few drops of oil, turn that thing on, and just, it just spits at you. Just pss, pss, pss. And Paul uses that imagery to say, do you know what you are? You get to be the very dwelling place of God, that the Holy Spirit resides within you. And as such, God is going to use you as a vessel, as, as this earthen vessel, this jar of clay, and you are going to diffuse the fragrance of God to the world around you. That in every situation, in every moment, God's going to look at your life and just kind of push, put, put you on, and you're just going to go pss, 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 all over your world. What would it look like if you not only experienced, but you became the demonstration of Jesus to your world? That when the world looked at your life, they saw him. That somehow you, get, you, you could get so tight and wrapped up in him and his life that this wasn't grit your teeth and try to act like Jesus. This wasn't a what would Jesus do kind of thing. This is you just couldn't help yourself because your nature is being changed and, and that in Christ you are a brand new creation. And as such, he was doing something so radically inside of your life. And because he's deposited his spirit inside of you, you just, you couldn't help yourself, but you just started oozing forth the fragrance of Jesus everywhere you go. And you just pss, 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 everywhere you went and just pss, 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 on, a, on everybody you talked to and just pss, 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 as you're driving down the road and just pss, 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 down at your job. And God's eternal purpose is all about Jesus. And his desire from the very beginning is that you would get wrapped up in relationship with that purpose that his plan from the very beginning of time has been Jesus, that the mystery hidden from ages and generation, that the unsearchable riches of Christ is found in one place, Jesus. It is him. Would you, would you embrace him? Would you make his purpose your own? Would you come before him and say, Lord, I, I surrender my will, I surrender my purpose, I surrender my plans, and Lord, I say, I, I want you so however you want to use my life, Jesus, I'm in. Lord, however you want to spill and spend this life for the king and for the kingdom, I am in. Lord, would you, would you take this earthen vessel known as me and would you so deposit, it, deposit such a rich depth of your life that what comes forth out of my life would not be me, that the world wouldn't see me, the world would just encounter you. Would you experience and allow him to demonstrate his life through you. I want that. Oh, I want that for you too. Let's pray. Lord, we love you. Lord, you, you've had an eternal purpose. That there's this rich plan, this mystery from the very beginning of eternity which I know there's no beginning of eternity, but from the beginning of the ages that you've had one desire. It was to showcase Jesus Christ. And you created a people who would be image bearers that would reflect the reality of your life. That this world would know that you are God because the universe would see you in and through us. Lord, that purpose has not changed. It is still to reflect the life of Jesus and you made every way available because of the cross 
for us to not only be forgiven, to be cleansed, to be transformed, but for us to have relationship and intimacy with the living God so that the very life of God through the Spirit of God who resides within us would be demonstrated through these human vessels. Lord, I pray that that purpose would be our own. Lord, would you be, would you be the very center of our lives? Lord, don't let us live for ourselves. Don't let us live for our purpose. Don't let us live for a plan of our own making or of our own choosing. Lord, this is not about us. This is all about you. It's only ever and always will be about you. So Lord, would you turn our gaze upward and let us live in the reality of Jesus Christ. Oh, that we might experience you, the one true God, and make your life known to this world. And Lord, I pray that everything that's available in Jesus, that all the love and all the joy and all the peace and all the patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness, all the self-control, all the freedom, all the victory, all the everything, Lord, that we would experience it and live this thing out, that we wouldn't just esteem the Christian life, but we would live it to the full. Lord, we glorify you. Oh, you are so good. Thank you that you have given us <laughs> these mere human mortals the opportunity to participate in your eternal purpose and plan. We love you, Jesus. We give you all the praise and the glory. In your precious name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this study from the book of Ephesians with Nathan Johnson. If you would like additional resources to help you build your life around Jesus, I encourage you to check out my website at deeperchristian.com. This podcast is the audio version taken from my video series in Ephesians. And if you'd like to view the video version of this study, you can do so by going to deeperchristian.com forward slash Ephesians. Know I am cheering you on as you build your life around and upon Jesus Christ. See you next time.